Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. We just started a series uh, back a few weeks ago, and uh, we've been journeying through this idea of we're better together. We're better together. And when uh, we've been pushing a little bit, you found out that we're asking you to do some things together. So when it came time for me to do the message, I thought, well, what, what is better than Velcro? <laughs> I love Velcro. For those of you that are young parents, don't you think that Velcro is the greatest thing God ever allowed you as a parent to have? I remember trying to teach my kids how to tie their shoes. I was like, after a while, some kids, some of your kids are like, just forget it. Don't tie your shoes. Then Velcro came along. I mean, it was simple. They, could, they don't have to worry about tying anymore. And I thought about what we need in today's message is everyone needs a Velcro spot. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, do you have a Velcro spot in your life? Ask him that. Do you have a Velcro spot? Let me ask you a question. Do you know where Velcro came from? Velcro came from a gentleman who was a kind of a semi-inventor, amateur mountain climber. His name is George de Mastral. In 1948, he took his Irish pointer uh, and decided, you know what, I'm going to go up in the Swiss Alps and I'm going to begin to find a little hunting expedition with my beautiful pointer. And he did that. And when he got back home, he looked down at his pants and he looked at his dog and all of a sudden there's these burrs all over his pants and all over his dog. He neglected his dog and grabbed one of the burrs out of his pants and put it under a microscope. And instead of having a business opportunity, he thought, that is so interesting how that just sticks. It just sticks. And you've got to really have to go through a lot of uh, just trying to get the thing out of his pants and forget about trying to get it out of the dog's fur. In fact, he seemed to find an idea that stuck. Now, Velcro is a multi-million dollar industry that is used universally around the world, everything from babies to adults. The word Velcro actually comes from the French word velour or velvet and crochet or hooks. In fact, it's commonly referred to as hook and loop. One side looks like millions of little hooks and the other looks like a piece of velour and when you put them together. But have you ever noticed that two sides of this Same type of material do not work. You have to have a hook and you have to have a loop. And you say, well, why do I need a Velcro spot? Why do I need a Velcro spot? I mean, we live in a world today that anonymity is considered you're really great if you can learn to live with anonymity in your life. And yet some people feel like they're just hanging by a thread. There's, it's not, it's, you're not sticking anymore. It's just kind of like you feel like life is just hanging you around like this. We have a world that's full of what we call attachment disorders, and we all need a Velcro spot. I think it's interesting in the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to the Gentiles, which had been disconnected. They did not have a Velcro spot. He says to them in Ephesians 2, he says, Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You are carefully Velcroed together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
In other words, we've been called to live life together. We've been called to find places that we Velcro together. And you say, well, you know, I don't really care about that. I, I just, I'm a loner. I, I just like doing life by myself, and I don't really need a whole lot of people. Well, in 2018, the Cigna firm did a survey of American adults and found out that loneliness has reached epidemic levels. We don't have Velcro spots in our lives. Here's what the report said. 43% of Americans report, 43% report they often feel isolated from others. That's one out of every two. That means if you split the room right here, someone over here feels isolated. 27% feel they don't have people who truly understand them. Just don't, nobody understands me. And because of that, we isolate versus finding Velcro. He went on to say that 47% of people do not have meaningful, in-person, social interactions on a daily basis. Half of us don't have daily, in-social, personal relationships and interaction with other people. The research went on to say that they see it seemingly peaks in adolescence and at the end of life. Right now, there's what's called Generation Z. Generation Z are young adults between the ages of 18 and 22. And this Cigna research said that the Generation Z, this was done last year, this report was done, said it is the loneliest generation in history. AARP found out that 35% of Americans over the age of 45 are lonely. In 2014, 26% of the people over the age of 65, 26% live by themselves. We've seemingly crafted a world of just anonymity. Live by yourself. Don't find a Velcro spot. And yet it's creating this distraction that we now begin to feel like we're not important and we begin to hover away instead of coming close to somebody else. The reason I said this Together series has been so important to us at Gateway, it has created a paramount among us to say we want it to be known of us that we are the most connected church you've ever walked into. A church that primarily wants you connected to the heart of God and secondarily wants to connect you to people around you. And that's the Velcro spot that we're pressing today is that if we're going to do life together, then we have to do life together. You can't be one of the 47% that don't have the personal in social interactions on a daily basis. See, what happens when you begin to detach and disconnect You begin to feel like you're just a social security number. You begin to feel like you're just a statistic on the U.S. Census Bureau. Or you begin to feel like you're just a series of digits on a computer screen. But you're not that. You're an individual that's been created, divinely created, by a loving Savior who destined you to be Velcroed to him and to be Velcroed to his family. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul said it this way, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. God's intention was that we live life connected. There is an interconnectivity of all. There's more bones in your hand than any other part of the body. 
And if you've ever broke one little piece of a finger here, you know what it does to your entire body. It just seemingly sets off everything because the hand is so necessary in all of life. And we were created to be attached, not detached. So how do we find and how do we embrace a Velcro spot in life? And I know today I may be pushing you a little bit and and you notice that we're not afraid to ask the questions and we're not afraid to challenge you because that's what God's intention is for you to live life like this, not live life like this. So how do we do this? So if you're taking notes, if you would write this down, here's the first way that I believe that we learn to find and we learn to embrace a Velcro spot. Number one, appreciate the diversity. Appreciate the diversity. Preston said recently, he said, when you walk into a room and all of a sudden you say, I don't see anybody else like me in here, then what you're basically saying is, I'm looking for something that acts, looks, smells like me. But for us to find Velcro spots in our lives, we have to embrace and appreciate the, adver- the diversity. When you run through a field, you never know what's going to stick to your pants or stick to your dog, and that's what George Damas Trow found out when he created Velcro. We find out very quickly in life that everyone is not going to be like you. Everyone is not going to be like you. Paul continues that idea of one part inside of the body and how each part is necessary in Romans 12. And he says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all need to be Velcroed to each other. We need to belong to each other. So you know we like to ask questions because questions create consistent communication. So I have a question for you. What part of the stew are you? You say, what? My wife makes an incredible beef stew. And when I come in, what my wife does, she makes this beef stew, and, and, and I don't know what's in there because what she puts on top are dumplings. How many of you ever had beef stew and dumplings on top? She cooks the dumplings on top, and, and when she puts them on, they, they start just doing this. They grow and grow, and they start to push the lid up a little bit. And then when I pull the lid off, I can't see what's in the stew. I just know there's dumplings on top. But I know beneath the stew, beneath the dumplings, there's going to be potatoes, there's going to be carrots, there's going to be a beef roast, there's going to be onions, there could be jalapenos, there's Worcestershire sauce, there's gravy, there's everything in the world under there, and that's what makes the beef stew taste like it is. My wife is not going to make beef stew out of tomatoes. She's not going to make beef stew out of just carrots. So I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to ask the question, what part of the stew are you? Are you a potato? Are you a carrot? Are you beef roast? Are you onion? Are you a jalapeno? And then after they tell you, ask them, why did you say that about yourself? Turn to someone asking a question. What part of the stew are you? There's some jalapenos on the front row up here. Come on. What part of the stew are you? All right, where are all the onions? Come on, all the onions. That's it. Come on, own up to being an onion. Where are all the carrots? 
All right, come on, all the cares. Where's all the beef roast? Come on, where's all the roast? Look at that place is full of roast today. But aren't you glad that when you put it all together, it's what makes the stew? The diversity is what makes the stew flavorful. I'll make a statement. I want you to listen to this. Write this down. Our diversity and individual spiciness was God's idea. I think many times we want to become sectarian. We want to create the idea that, you know, what is the word sectarian? It means we can be discriminating. I can be a bigot. I can be biased. I can have a dogmatism. But when we lean towards sectarianism, what we do is we embrace things that divide us versus things that bring us together. You say, what, 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 like what? Culture, ethnicity, economics, gender, age. That if we're not careful, these things will divide us versus saying, bring it together and let it begin to be the thing that allows us to embrace what God has made. How do I learn to appreciate that diversity? In 1 Corinthians 12, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. The eye can't say to the hand, you're not the eye, I don't need you. The feet can't say to the head, I don't need you. In fact, he says there's some parts of the body that may be the weakest and may seem least important, but actually they're the most necessary. I doubt today out in the lobby any of you are going to go up and say, hey, how's your pituitary gland? I'd like to see it. <laughs> okay, would you show me your pituitary? I understand you have a very inquisitive pituitary gland, but that pituitary gland is what keeps you operating like you are today. Why is it that we would rather live without the Velcro and hang than we would of being, dis, being connected and being truly connected? And instead of being against the things that divide us, why don't we find the things that connect us and stick with it? Here's the second thing that I believe why we need to hold on and embrace the idea of a Velcro spot. And how do I find it? is that when you finally get it, you have to hold on and stick to it. This is another form of Velcro. Um, I needed this to hang something outside, and this, is, this isn't just Velcro. This isn't just Velcro. This is extreme Velcro. In fact, the word right there is extreme. It is made for heavy lifting. That little piece right there will hold 10 pounds. It weighs just less than an ounce, but it will hold 10 pounds. It's extreme Velcro. And I think many times the phenomena behind Velcro is its ability to stick together. So here, write this down. Number two is hold on and stick to it. Hold on and stick to it. See, life is going to have adversity. In fact, in 1 Peter, in the message in chapter 4, says, Friends, when life gets real difficult, really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. 
This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. In other words, many times in life, we, when things get tough, we want to run. And here, Peter's saying, don't run. Embrace Christ experience this and realize this is a refining process. Instead of trying to run away from the problem, run at the problem. Embrace it, hold on, and stick to it. See, I believe even scripturally, we're called to find a Velcro spot in times of life that when you really just want to quit. And we were thinking about this the other day. My wife and I were talking. We've been married for a long time. We got married in kindergarten. I was in pre-K. She's older than I am. And uh, we've been married 42 years. And I can tell you the reason that we've been married 42 years is because we found this little thing called Velcro. There have been moments that, trust me, I can be rough to live with. Just ask her. But there's a thing about Velcro that once you latch it, you can't get it off. That's why I love these gloves. I love these when I'm lifting because I can wrap them around the bar. If I don't want the bar to let go, if I'm pulling or if I'm doing this and I don't want that bar, I can wrap that bar and I can put it through here and I can bring it around and then I can't let go. And sometimes when the weight gets heavy, you wish the Velcro wasn't there. And when you wish those moments, you're like, then what you're doing, you're giving in to the moment versus saying, wait a minute, I can't get that off. That Velcro, the only way you pull the, get Velcro off is you pull it and you release it. Instead of holding on and sticking to it. And I think that in life, in marriage, and in many things that we do, even in, in, in jobs and in, in church life, We've got to find a place where we just hold on and just stick to it. The other day we were talking and she said, I just, I'm glad we're at a place right now that some of the things that used to really bother us, we laugh at it. The other night we, we got into something, it was stupid, it was just really dumb. And I mean, I was, I was just, you know, like I was just adamant about it. And all of a sudden, I, we're having a good conversation, an adult conversation, but it's a little bit heated. And all of a sudden she starts laughing. And I'm like, what are you doing? We're supposed to be having it out now. And she's over there. <laughs> and then I started laughing at her because she's laughing at me. Why? It's because there comes a place that the Velcro, you just learn to stick and hold on. Don't let it divide, but let it pull you in and just stick with it. I think it's interesting that Jesus said in Matthew 24, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. There'll be those that just say, I'm ready to quit. But the one who holds on to the Velcro, the one who sticks to it, the one who endures to the end, that's the one that's saved. Not the one who quits, not the one that caves in, not the one that allows the pressure to, to make you do something you know you shouldn't do. It's the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Paul, writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, he said, because I preach this good news. Now, here's the setup for this. This is 2 Timothy. Most scholars believe that before the ink had dried on the parchment, Paul was dead. He was in prison. He was chained, and he's writing this last epithet to his son, the person that he had embraced in life, that had taken the church in Ephesus. And he says, listen to me, son. I preach this good news. I am suffering. 
I'm being chained like a criminal. He's not, he's not running from the reality of what the moment was. He said, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to stick to it. I am willing to have Velcro. I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. There's got to be a place to where we don't run, but we hold on and stick to it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, God blesses those who patiently embrace their Velcro. God blesses those who patiently stick to it, who endure testing and temptation. Not when you're tested, just fold. Not when you're being tempted, just quit. Afterward, after what? After you've held on, after you've endured, after you've stuck to it, after you've done that and you didn't run and you stuck to it, after that you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Years ago, I read a poem by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. It's called The Winds of Fate. Ella Wilcox was an early 1900 poet, poet, and she said this, Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. And for those of you that have ever sailed before, you know it's important that when you get out, before you lift the sails, you got to know which way the wind is and which way you're going to tack, which way you're going to tack back, tack this way. Where are you headed? And notice that she said, it's the set of the sails and not the gales. The word gales is the wind, which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of fate, as we voyage along through the life. Tis the set of the soul that decides its goal, not the calm or the strife. No matter what's happening in life, you have to choose, am I going to hold on and stick to it? Or am I going to fold and quit? So here's another interactive question. This time I'm going to ask you to turn to someone that you did not come with. Someone that you did not come with. And ask them, what adverse challenge are you facing right now? What is that thing in your life right now that you're facing that may want you to just quit? I want you to ask them, what adverse challenge are you facing? And then the second thing is, can I pray for you to stick to it and not quit? Let's take a couple minutes. Find somebody you did not come with and ask, what adverse challenge are you facing that may challenge you to quit? What adverse challenge are you facing? Come on, be honest. What is it? What is it that would make you want to just bail right now? I'm not going to quit. All right, let the other person tell their challenge right now. What is it? What is that thing right now and that's an adverse challenge?
Now, if you would, get their name. Ask them their name and say, can I pray for you this week that you won't quit? That you will not quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. Isn't that awesome? Because now you just did this, you found somebody, a Velcro. You just found a Velcro place right there in your life. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. Appreciate the diversity. Appreciate the diversity. Number two, hold on and stick to it. And here's number three. You ready? Write this down. Get connected no matter what it takes. What you just did right then is that you opened up to somebody and you shared with them something that can disconnect you. You just faced a moment with somebody that says, this disconnects me. This has the potential to be the very thing that would pull me apart instead of staying connected Instead of having the Velcro, this could pull me out. Number three is get connected no matter what it takes. You see, meism has almost achieved a religious status. Meism. Individualism has replaced team playing. And there's almost a mentality today that wrecks us, and instead of what is best for the whole, the clarion cry is, what's best for me? And that doesn't connect, connect us. That disconnects us. When we leave, live a life that it's all about me, it's all about what I get, it's all about the individualism, it's what I bring to the team. Have you ever played a sport that there's one guy or one girl on the team that just thinks they're that in a bag of chips? Give me the ball, give me the ball. And you're like, I'm not give you the ball. Yeah, you might be able to get, like, you're, maybe you're 60% 60, 60 from the three-point line, but let somebody else shoot the ball. There comes a place to where the team is more important than me. And so when I say get connected no matter what it takes, there's got to be something inside of me that says I've got to search for the Velcro. I've got to find the things that connect me. We can all find things that disconnect us, but what does connect us? So when I thought about what is it that connects us, the first thing that connects us is eternity. Do you know that every single one of us in this room are going to spend eternity someplace? We have that in common. Whether you're 25 or whether you're 65, we're going to spend eternity together. So instead of us trying to do it alone, why don't we try to find some people to come alongside? Hey, journey with me. Walk with me. Get some Velcro on me. Stick with me. I need to be able to journey with somebody else. If that 2018 study is true, that 47% of us do not have daily in-social interactions, then that means a lot of people are doing life by themselves. That's not God's intention. Because I think what connects us may seem morbid, but really 
kind of brings a bright spot that we're going to spend eternity someplace. What connects us? Heritage and legacy. Do you know that you're leaving a wake? You know, like a boat cuts through the water, it leaves a wake behind it. You're leaving a wake behind you of some type of a heritage or some type of a legacy. I wrote a book called Life in the Dash, and the, the idea came from that little half inch on a, on a tombstone has your birth date and your death date. Uh, that little half inch, that's what I'm living in right now. I'm living in the dash. And my dash, and the book was, write your legacy now of what you want people to say about you then. I'm leaving a legacy behind, and, and that's what connects me. Because what my life and the choices I make is going to connect me or disconnect me from other people. If I live life just for me, that's not much of a legacy. But if I live life that I'm leaving a heritage behind. Romans 8, 17 says, if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So here's what I look at that passage and what it means to me. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I have access. And I have a heritage that somewhere, many times, to become connected, we think, well, I can't be really connected in the church because of this or I've got that in my life or maybe a family tree that you're not really proud of but let me ask you something can you create a new one when you came to Christ and you made him Lord and Savior of your life you can make a new family tree in your life you can leave behind a legacy and a heritage that maybe you didn't get that but you can now give it to somebody else what connects us is our father he just said that we are joint heirs we're heirs of God we have the same dad we have the same dad. Back a few years ago, there was a young man who played for the Arizona Cardinals. And when I pastored in New York, he was a little kid in our Sunday school classes. And he grew up and became a tight end for the Cardinals. And so I would get family seats. And um, he was from Nigeria. And so I would say, I'd be over in the family section. I'd be sitting there. And they said, so which one's yours? And I'd say, well, number 80. They'd look at my wife, look at me. She's blonde. And they're like, I say, he's adopted. Why? It's because the thing that joined us together was not we had the same father, but we had the same heavenly father. I think that's why Jesus taught us to pray every day. Our father. Our father. What joins us is we have the same father. What joins us is something we just celebrated in communion. The blood of Jesus. None of us in this room have bragging rights of our purity or our, our holiness that we made on our own, but the blood of Jesus brought us and connected us in communion just a few moments ago. And then what connects us is his family, the church. But what happens is we allow things that we've got all this grand list of things that connect us, but we allow this little list of things that disconnect us. I'm going to hit them very quick. Let me give you the first one. The first thing I think that connects us is busyness. We miss the God-intended cadence of seven days. We miss it. I think God instituted, even in creation, seven days. And he said, oh, by the way, on the seventh day, I want you to rest. It's a, it's a time of Shabbat. It's a time of finding yourself, of rest and time with him. 
And what we do is we get in life, and well, I don't have time for that, and our cadence goes from every seven days that maybe we show up in church every 14 days or every 21 days. And I think that we become so busy that we miss the cadence of being connected to the body, and we start becoming further and further away. You know, it was God's idea that every seven days, rest, worship, rest, worship, rest, worship, a cadence that keeps us connected. But when we do that and we miss that, it disconnects us. The other thing that disconnects us is overcommitment. We just have too much on our plates. What disconnects us is priority alignment. When we started talking about groups and, and we taking one Sunday per month to be in a group, some are like, oh my goodness, one Sunday a month, that's, that's 12 out of the entire 365 days in a year. Serious? When we become so overcommitted that we don't have time to connect, it will disconnect. The other thing that disconnects us is priority alignment. We just get our priorities just really whacked up. Another thing I think that disconnects us is the lack of appreciation, just being thankful for what you bring into my life. And then last, what, what disconnects us is the fear of failure. See, I, many times there's something stealing. Remember I said, you can't pull this Velcro apart. If, you just, if it's hooked together like that, it is very difficult to pull it apart. In fact, it's, you can do, I mean, you can finally do it and rip it. But the only way to do it is you've got to disconnect it. Many times in our lives, what happens, there's something trying to steal, just lift us and disconnect us. Maybe there's something pulling at your Velcro. And so I want to take the end of this service to ask you some questions. Could it be that you're that very independent person that you've not felt truly the need to be connected to God or to others? And maybe you're one of the 43% of Americans that report you feel isolated from others. Or maybe you're one of the 47% that did not have a meaningful in-person social interaction on a daily basis. So how do I change it? How do I change it? The way you change it is say, acknowledge, first of all, I'm disconnected. I haven't got a Velcro spot. I'm just living life. I'm living life the way I want it. I'm doing what I want to do, and I, I've not found the Velcro spot. Well, you know what? That can change this morning because you can take the first step in a change of mind. Theologically, we call that repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. It's a change. It's a course correction. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. But many times, the hardest step is the first step. It's acknowledging I'm not connected. And before I can step into the future, I have to eliminate the possibility of the retreat that could be there. You say, what do you mean? In 1504, there was a young 19-year-old that left on a merchant ship headed to the New World. His name was Hernando Cortez, 19 years old. Seven years later, they landed in Cuba in 1511. He stayed in Cuba for a while, and then eight years later, he approached the Cuban governor at age 34, and he said, uh, I'd like to set sail for Mexico, and I'd like to establish a new colony 
for the Cuban government. I'd like for you to send me out. I need to change course. I need to connect. I feel like I have a purpose in my life. The Cuban governor agreed to it. He gave him 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 552 soldiers. He said, that sounds pretty good. 11 ships, 13 horses, and 110 sailors, and 552 soldiers. But the indigenous population of Mexico at that time was 5 million. The odds were 7,541 to 1. Those aren't good odds. Cortez believed he was destined to make a connection. He believed that there was something in his life that he would leave his mother Spain nation and had a destiny. When they finally got to Mexico in 1519, the story is that once they landed and they'd unloaded the ships, Cortez asked some of his closest associates, he said, go back to the 11 ships and set them on fire. Burn the ships. Their mode of transportation was now on fire, was now being burned. And retreat was not an option. They were stuck in Mexico. If you remember your history, Cortez was successful in what he did. But he had to burn the ships. And I wonder this morning in this weekend services that we are having that there's some of you sitting here that you felt that your anonymity, you thought that your individualism, you thought that your meism, you didn't like it, that you're afraid. There was things that were disconnecting you. And you can't progress forward if you're handicapped with your past. Maybe it's a relationship hurt that's keeping you from a good relationship now. It may be a church situation that you lived through years ago and you're afraid to say, you know, I'm afraid to really step into connection and finding a Velcro spot at Gateway because I got hurt. Paul said this in the book of Philippians. He said, brothers and sisters, I know that I've not reached that goal, but there's one thing I always do, forgetting the past. I burn the ships. Straining toward what is ahead, I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God called me through Christ to the life above. Cortez had to leave Spain to get to the new world. The first steps on the moon had to begin by getting out of bed before they loaded the Apollo ship. Every PhD has to start in kindergarten. Every black belt has to have a white belt. And Kilimanjaro is only climbed one step at a time. And I wonder today, what is it that's kept you from finding the Velcro spot in your life? What is it today that you need to bring before God? We call this the altar. And you know why we call this the altar? And why do we call it an altar team? It's because an altar is where things need to die. An altar is a place where we lay it down. Because the very thing that's been keeping you from connection may be the thing that's keeping you from your potential. 
And I believe that God's calling us to step into it and to connect. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.